Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our growing audience across America and around the world. Matt Charles Public Relations Strategies uh, is a boutique consultancy with offices in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Chautauqua, New York. He works with corporations, startups, higher education institutions, nonprofits, governments, and others. Matt is a former spokesperson for the University of Virginia, where he gained experience in navigating crises and successfully engaging its many stakeholders. Years of on-the-ground work and case study teaching at top-tier graduate schools including Purdue University, Georgetown University, and, of course, the University of Virginia, has strengthened his skills to influence stakeholder behavior, improve community relations, and aiding and maintaining a solid reputation for your organization. He is an accredited member of the Public Relations Society and also was appointed to the Fulbright Specialist Communications and Journalism roster. Now, Matt is a former New York City special investigator with tons of experience working working under high-stakes pressure assignments. This is what attracted Matt, brought him to my attention. So, Matt, welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter, and for uh, making this great resource available to all practitioners. Well, look, let's start with, uh, why don't you tell us exactly how, you, how the fact that you were a special investigator and how did you bring that in public relations together? And then we'll take it from there. Yeah, it's an interesting story, Peter. Um, really what happened was I was, my beat was Harlem and kind of went into the Bronx, so 110 North um, in Upper Manhattan and had a dual crime scene. I was investigating a... Um, child fatality i'll leave it at that um really rough situation tragic situation and a news reporter from new york one was hit by a vehicle at the uh while the investigation was going on so we had basically dual crime scenes one the uh the homicide and then the second the um the hit and run so you know very uh, little resources available because we were just particularly stressed with deployments that day and my supervisor was like hey um yeah I've watched you in court. You're pretty good. Um, you know, you went to UVA, and um, yeah, you're you're good with the interviews. So let's just just do your best in dealing with media. And I guess I did a pretty good job. So now, how how long were you with, uh, uh, or were you a special investigator in, in New York? So New York was three years, and then my wife and I moved to LA. She's in the entertainment industry an actor and also into production company, um, working with, uh, youth and adults theater education. And she wanted to move to LA and I think she thought she's got to twist my arm to do it. And that job, Peter, as you can imagine, working, um, sex and drug crimes involving children, it can weigh on you emotionally Mm -hmm. after a while. And typically people would do, you know, one, two year appointments and generally, and always if they had a, uh, a kid on the way or, um, you know, did have kids, they generally would stay away from that, that line of work. Um, and what happened was, you know, I was kind of a dinosaur at age 26 in that office. I just kept doing it because I didn't have kids yet. And, um, you know, it was, it was time for me to, to move on to, to something else. So 
very thankful for my experience in law enforcement. I think it lent me perspective that I, you know, still utilize today. And, um, you know, it, it definitely was a great experience for me. So how did you make the transition then from law enforcement to public relations? So out in L.A., I started doing a lot of uh, TV hosting. And the more I did it, the more I was asked to assist with, you know, it's like anything else, resources are are, uh, diminished or low in some cases. So uh, I was asked to help out with some of the behind the scenes work, which would include the PR of, you know, reaching out to, um, you know, media organizations with news to try and get a show publicity or to um, do the same thing with a product, like really helping position it with stakeholders and just really fell in love with it. And then my wife and I have uh, had our son on the way. This was about 11, 12 years ago and decided to head back to Virginia and we basically, the story on that was, is, you know, she was sitting, I remember she was sitting in a trailer with, uh, doing the show Vegas, Las Vegas with, uh, James Kahn and Josh Duvall. And she's like, yeah, you know, I've really made it. But at the same time, like there's something missing. And she always wanted to work with, um, at-risk youth and, um, you know, providing them opportunities through theater and that line of work. So we had opportunity back in our hometown of Danville, Virginia, which was pretty economically depressed. They lost a lot of tobacco jobs, uh, you know, mills had closed down, manufacturing, it was a mass exodus. So I uh, went back there, she was doing that work, and I was lucky enough, um, one of my mentors, um, this guy Carl Stauber, amazing guy uh, in the field of philanthropy and nonprofit, le- leader with the Danville Regional Foundation, which was just uh, founded at that point, um, with the mission of helping provide education, health and wellness, capacity, and education and economic development to um, to the area. I said, hey, um, you know, I've seen what you do. I think you'd be interesting to work with as a communications consultant. And then that led to me becoming the uh, director of communications and PR there. So it was really cool to like work on my hometown. As the years went on, had opportunity to go back to my alma mater, EVA called. Um, so couldn't turn that down and You know, Melissa and I love Charlottesville, and it's a great place to raise our son. So first came here as director of media relations for the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, which is awesome work, great faculty members to work with, amazing communications team. Um, You know, we did work to support faculty with thought leadership, um, you know, and eventually, you know, some of the work we did helped position us uh, number one in the rankings. And then after that, you know, as you know, there were – a lot of uh, issues and crises, um, not all of them at the fault of EVA, but just what we became involved with. And they had a position opening for a deputy spokesperson, which was an inaugural position. So um, I was lucky enough to get that uh, about five years ago. So um, it worked that within that uh, realm, Community Relations and Freedom of Information Act fell under my purview, and then I assisted the uh, spokesperson, chief spokesperson, with, um, you know, crisis management, issues management, and um, from there, you know, like, if he was out, I would be the acting spokesperson, so gained great experience there and learned a lot from him, really good guy, uh, great team over there, um, and then, you know, unfortunately, my mom became ill about a year and a half, well, she had been sick for a few years, and then about a year and a half ago, things went really south, um, and then the need was there for me to kind of help you know, lend some support to she and my dad. So it was in a position where I was already teaching online. So financially, it was not a big deal for me to step away and focus on them. So did that. But as you can imagine, with um, the work I did at UVA, um, you know, clients started calling. 
So, uh, you know, here I am today. Well, <clears throat> that sounds like a, a great, interesting trip. And uh, by the way, uh, I've actually had that uh, somewhat of the same experience. I was when I uh, left Washington or moved Washington down here to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I came down as a vice president of communications for a small university here, so I can understand the wide variety of things that you're called on uh, called on to do. Yeah, knowing your background, Peter, I think we share some similar stories. Well, I tell you. Uh, Getting back to the law enforcement part of it, uh, obviously most of the time we see spokespeople for, let's say, a police department, a law enforcement agency. Somebody's been up to something nefarious or something that they should not have been. Uh, What are some of the other challenging opportunities that police and law enforcement departments have or need for their spokespeople to be engaged in? Well, I think it's a couple things. I mean, the overarching issue, and this is just coming from my experience in law enforcement, but also, you know, working with the community. Um, and then also, like, part of my job at UVA was assisting uh, UVA's police department with, um, you know, their spokesperson with messaging and engagement, and that sort of thing, is just overall trust, uh, making sure that the community, you know, it's a two-way street. You know, you need to trust the community, and the community needs to trust you. And you can't just expect the community to trust you without you putting, as, as a department, police department, or law enforcement agency, putting that trust um, out there as well and working to gain that trust. And that could be anything as simple as, you know, something I think we've gotten away from a bit and are hopefully getting back toward now is walking the beat as an officer. Um, you know, I felt really fortunate in New York to really, even though it was a pretty wide swath, you know, I was out on the street every day. I wasn't in a car because, um, you know, you take the subway, but I just like walking around a lot and knowing people. And I definitely actually saved my life on at least one to two occasions I can think of off the top of my head of just like knowing people and having that support and getting the heads up when I needed to or um, receiving some immediate help um, is needed. See, I would say trust is number one. Uh, number two is just increased engagement. Um, got to keep Got to keep doing that. Because it all comes down to the fact of if the trust isn't there, you're not going to have the relationships to um, you know, help as police officers and law enforcement um, officials to help provide and ensure safety for um, our people and our residents, but also um, you know, just making sure that that trust is there to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's one of the things that I have heard briefly uh, uh for uh, police departments now, they need to do more, and some of them are, as you may call it, uh, community engagement, as you said, being on the streets, meeting the people, because it has benefits that once that trust is there, information begins to flow to you guys rather than you're having to try to track it down. Exactly. And, I mean, you could even apply this to, like, you know, the field of intelligence. It's always best to have, I mean, you never, you got you have to bet the intelligence, but always good to have people that you can trust to provide information and not just trying to get information just to help, you know, solve a crime or prevent a crime, but also just info of like, you know, maybe somebody, a community or neighborhood is not necessarily trusting of certain officers or of certain, uh, because of behaviors that are maybe nefarious, as you stated. I mean, that isn't always the case, but it does happen on occasion. And it's good to know as a department overall to help protect the integrity of that department or also just to, uh, you know, help bolster those relationships. And, you know, as you stated, I mean, the momentum is there. I mean, we are seeing more community engagement, dedicated positions within police departments. And not just public information officers that just put out one-way information, but actually that function is there, but also the two-way engagement that, you know, that we need um, 
to see put forth. Now, did you uh, or your departments ever have uh, special activities that were geared up uh, from time to time? Obviously, we see during the holiday season that police departments, uh, you know, they'll uh, collect money so they can buy bikes or toys or other things for kids. But uh, did you find your your department doing similar sort of things, perhaps on a year-round basis? Yeah, and it was mostly uh, year-round, Peter. I mean, Chesterfield County in Virginia, where I started out, you know, they did a good, really good job, I thought, and also partnered with uh, local EMS and fire departments. So that's a great way to leverage resources. Um, they had great outreach there. And then um, my, my assignment was with Administration for Children's Services in New York City, and we, I liaised um, often with Special Victims Unit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, again, really good at getting out in the community. Thinkers, like, you know, there's always going to be a couple of bad apples out there, like with any job, but overall I thought I did a really good job. And really care. Did you find uh, those particular skills, or obviously having been with the uh, in law enforcement, that you could transfer into, let's say, with the University of Virginia, or even dealing with some of your clients, how you could bring some of the things that you learned being a law enforcement person to their particular uh, help satisfy their particular needs? Yeah, definitely, Peter. I mean. First of all, as you can imagine, in any job like that, that's serious where there's life and death stakes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you, you gain a perspective on things. So let's say there is a crisis situation, which, you know, it's from an individual's perspective, when they enter into what they perceive as a crisis, it's going to be absolutely horrible, mind bending, and it's going to you know instill fear in them. But as an external person coming in being objective, you can really kind of keep your head straight, which you have to do in law enforcement on the streets. Um, so that you stay stay safe and you can help others. You can utilize those skills to really try to help take that person and pull them out, you know, and objectively show like, hey, here's what's really going on. Here's how we can approach this. It's going to be okay. Um, just take a deep breath, and we're going to get through this together. Well, also now in working with um, uh, the um, university's police department, were you able to help them uh, in their approach to, let's call it civic engagement? Yeah, and I, and I would say with them, um, the guy, the, per, the officer that they had dedicated to that job, that role, was already amazing with the civic engagement. Um, you know, I probably picked a thing or two up from him. I mean, I believe like any job I have, I can always learn from others. Um, but, yeah, I definitely helped out with that. But the biggest thing was more of the uh, the media messaging um, statements, that sort of thing, because that, that is something that police departments, you know, and a lot of organizations um, deal with is they don't have somebody dedicated um, that has that experience in uh, key messaging, um, strategic communications, and those fields. Um, but what I did was, you know, you pair that messaging up and getting those the, the word out with the stakeholder engagement that's in place with the community engagement function. And you can do a lot of really good work that way. And that's definitely something that I've helped other departments with uh, to date that have reached out to me. Now, you mentioned strategic communications, particularly for the uh, police department or law enforcement. What sort of uh, talk a little bit about that, what that includes and uh, how you went about that? Yeah, so it's like any sort of uh, strategic communications plan that you're going to be utilizing. Um, you know, you got to start off with a situation analysis to figure out what's going on. Um, and then I always, any, any plan, you're going to ground it in whatever the mission and the business or, or the business 
corporation, institutional, organizational objectives are um, to really figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish. So figure out what, what the deal is, do an environmental scan, because um, you know, there could be internal issues, there could be external issues, there could be like things you're not even thinking about from a systems theory perspective, like geopolitical, that something across the world could just impact you um, that you don't even see coming. But really trying to think outside of the box on that. And that formative research is going to involve, you know, a SWOT analysis generally, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, try to do that. I mean, if you have time, just a, a you know, a quick and dirty research um, project if, if time is limited, you know, speaking with people, a couple of interviews or just talks, if you got more time, focus groups, uh, you know, that's a qualitative tool that you can roll into a quantitative survey um, and reach, send that out to the community just to see where things really stand. And then you can triangulate your data through the focus groups and the survey to really um, get a firm grasp on how the engagement is looking, what the needs are, and where you can improve as an organization. I mean, I just uh, cycled off a project with a municipality doing that, and part of it was modeled off of some of the, the police work. Um, from there, that's going to, you know, um, help inform your SMART objectives and, uh, you know, this <clears throat> specific, measurable, attainable, reasonable, and time-bound objectives. You really want to quantify things so you know what you're getting into. And that also helps with evaluation, strategies, tactics that correspond with that. Um, budget may not be an issue as much, but you definitely have to timeline it and evaluate as you go along to see what's working and what's not. And again, if it's uh, law enforcement, for example, if it's uh, something with the neighborhood, it may just be, uh, you know, you calling around trying to figure things out. But if it's a city and you're really trying to get to the bottom of things, it could be a six-month study. Um, But at the same time, working with those officers to get them out with the people, talking with the people. Generally, and you're seeing this more now, where chiefs of police are really getting out walking the beat. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a top-down, message-from-the-top-down approach. Um, And you see a lot of chiefs where it's actually pretty easy for them. They've just been so mired in the administrative process, um, you know, in the latter parts of their career, um, just due to the necessity of the job with administration of justice within the department. But they're people that generally did walk the beat 20 to 30 years ago, 40 years ago in some cases. So it's pretty easy for them, and they really love it once they get back out. And the younger officers see it, and it's expected, and uh, that really impacts organizational culture. Well, you know, in in terms of um, uh, making sure that they do it right, did you ever engage in media training for those officers? They may have been maybe district commanders or something along those lines to make sure that they could handle dealing particularly with the television media or I guess print as well so that they could answer the questions that that they wanted to answer as well as get out the information they wanted to get out rather than simply responding to whatever it was a, re- a reporter wanted. Yeah, definitely, Peter. Media training is, is crucial. It's important um, because, as we know, a poorly done media interview can really set you back as, as an organization or within whatever it is you're working on. So um, it could be a couple of ways you do it. If uh, the timeline is super tight and you got to have to get somebody out there quickly, um, you basically just do a quick media prep where you run through questions that could be asked by the media, have those responses ready, figure out ways, um, you know, if, if a reporter throws you off a bit or is trying to get you on another subject, bridge back. Mm-hmm. Bridging's a tool to get you back on the, on the subject. Um, figuring out what it is, um, the key points you want to hit, keep it positive, and then at the end, I mean, it's always funny, you know, they always, people always ask or media ask, 
is there anything else you want to add? I mean, I, I think you should always just say, no, that was great. I appreciate the, <laughs> the opportunity for being here because sometimes that can lead to like a whole diatribe or a road you don't want to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have more time and budget, yeah, you could set up the half day, full day trainings with your public information officers um, who generally will have training going into the job. That's typically how they got it. But sometimes you have uh, law enforcement officers in smaller agencies that are kind of thrown into it or matriculate in at larger agencies. But they'll generally, uh, you know, take take uh, and be involved with that. And then with your yeah, your district commander, your uh, watch commanders, your chief of police, definitely um captains and yeah if you have time like get down to lieutenants and sergeants but um yeah you really want to kind of figure out what the timeline is and the resources that are available for that now do you ever obviously advise them because sometimes when you're having some sort of a press conference or something along those lines particularly with cameras uh uh rolling that once uh, you are off camera does not mean that the microphone is off to give them a heads up to be careful, you know, not to just start running off at the mouth, so to speak, once they believe that uh, everything is said and done. Yeah, the hot mic dichotomy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sometimes it plays your favor, but very rarely. Yeah, it's something where the hot mic is an issue, and I definitely uh, advise on that. So um, just not to say anything always be conscious of cameras as well being on because you never know mm-hmm. um and just keep it you know I, I always think it's okay to be conversational and relaxed to put also put the reporters at ease you know mm-hmm. um ask them a couple of questions about them you know how's their day going that sort of thing um if, if you're the one being interviewed just to kind of keep things easy going in and show you're a real human being but don't get, get into what you're talking about until they actually start recording um, and then definitely cease speaking about that once um, you're done with the uh, the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and leave it, leave it to the uh, public, the PIO or the comms professional with you. If somebody is with you to ask, you know, what that interview is going to be about, and then they communi- can communicate to the interviewee what is uh, what's going to be talked about. You know, and that should have already happened anyway, so that they could prep for it. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, if you've got, uh, let's say, a beat reporter, you know, developing some relationships with them because, uh, you know, working together obviously goes both ways. So I always try to establish a relationship with the reporters that covered us because uh, once you understand one another, I think uh, things flow a lot easier. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure you did this. You, you know, you invite them along to, to tour things, to uh, meet people just to get to know the organization and get to know, getting to know the people is the most important thing. Cause it comes down to people and relationships and trust mm-hmm. all at the end. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to like anything in life. So yeah, you do that. And um, I highly believe that let's say you have a breaking news situation. Your top stakeholders for media are going to be your local reporters, um, be it, you know, TV, uh, radio, definitely papers, and even your non-traditional, uh, maybe like local bloggers, if you deem them credible. Um, you need to give them a heads up first. And then if it's something huge, it'll trickle out to regional and uh, national from there. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, you've given us an awful lot of information. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that we missed that you think needs to be said? Not at all. Just the main thing, Peter, is for people to remember that community engagement is vital. Trust is a two-way street and relationships are what it all comes down to at the end of the day. And I appreciate this opportunity you uh provide a great service for all of us as professionals. 
Well, Matt, thank you so, so very, very much for joining the Public Relations Review. And I'd like, again, to thank uh, the listeners for uh, for joining us. And again, uh, please don't forget to join us for the very next edition of the Public Relations Review. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us.